Now, let's talk sports with Kanoa Leahy on ESPN Honolulu. What's up, everybody? Welcome. It's the Friday edition of Let's Talk Sports. I was out of the studio today, but back uh, yesterday, but back in today here in the Paxa Studios in Honolulu. And my special guest co-host for the day, per tradition on Fridays, uh, we have uh, TGIB. That's right. Thank goodness it's Brian B. Mac. Brian McInnes of the Spectrum News app is in the house. That was a little clunky, but you know what? We got there. What's up, B. Mac? What's up, man? That was like an amalgamation of all the intros for me That's you've right. ever done in the past. And why not just throw them together? Just throw them together. It's, it's the end of the week. <laughs> hey, we save the best for last, man. That's how that's how it goes in this business, right? We save the something for last. But there's something. Yeah, it's something at the very end. Anyway, we're happy it's Friday. We hope you have a good weekend uh, lined up. What's your weekend looking like from a uh, media coverage standpoint? Oh, man, this is one of those... Uh, Somebody asked me when I described to them this week, you know, the, the various things that I will be attempting to cover uh, for Spectrum News between UH and high school and miscellaneous. It, it's kind of uh, like final exam week, except there's a few of these final exam weeks stacked back to back to back at this time during the spring, just because you've got a slew of high school championships. You've got Hey, shoot, I mean, the UH men's volleyball is still, you know, the biggest ticket in town on their way to uh, compete in the NC two ways uh, and see how their season uh, ends up if they can get that third national championship. So um, no shortage, my friend. Um, and I'm sure it goes for you in terms of what you've been tracking. Yeah. And, you know, obviously you start off with the very immediate, uh, geographically speaking, stories first, right? University of Hawaii, prep sports, all that stuff. Uh, but then that uh, gets sort of extrapolated into other areas like the NFL draft is going on. And the coverage will be, by the way, uh, starting. In fact, it's starting now here. The pre-second day coverage of the NFL draft uh, starting over on CBS 1500 uh, with the second round uh getting underway at about 1 p.m. So right after we get off the air here with our show, CBS 1500 will have the coverage of day two of the NFL draft. Were you able to follow much of day one? Because it was actually full of activity. I'm not... As much of an NFL draft guy, or, or just like a, a draft guy, period, as uh, some others in the sports talk industry, but I think, you know, uh, you pay uh, attention to it in some uh, shape or form uh, and, and try to keep up with as much of the primary storylines uh, as there tend to be, right? With Bryce Young going number one, that was the big question, you know, who would go number one? Carolina Panthers were on the clock, and it took them a while uh, for them to get the pick, and they almost used the full allotment of the time, and I was thinking to myself, if this were a fantasy draft and one of the guys in the league had the number one pick and they took the entirety of the time to make the selection, uh, that's a problem. That's problematic. I would be pretty ticked off, right? It's like, you've been on the clock for months. Why do you need this uh, sort of excess set of minutes uh, to finally put that pick through? But I guess, you know, it's for uh, dramatic purposes to some degree as well. When you can antagonize your competition, <laughs> yeah. you take every avenue to do that, right? I mean... Uh, I'm sure they're they're in the uh, you know their war room, feet up having drinks. Like, yeah, yeah, they've made this decision months ago. And they're like, yeah, just make the, the number two guys sweat a little bit, you know? Yeah, and so uh, and so Bryce Young goes number one. He becomes the first Carolina Panthers uh, 
QB selected number one overall since Cam Newton. Uh, C.J. Stroud of Ohio State goes number two, and then the Texans pulled off uh, a pretty nifty maneuver where they traded up to the number three spot. So they went back-to-back back in two and three, took C.J. Stroud, the quarterback at number two, and then took, I think, uh, a, a name that most people would associate with being as much a can't-miss as there is in the draft, and that's Will Anderson Jr. out of Alabama, the outside linebacker uh, who has been the best linebacker in college football uh, really the last couple of seasons and, uh, you know, was the first freshman to start for Nick Saban. I mean, the guy's just been an absolute super stud for several years. Uh, And then, so that was a pretty awesome maneuver, I would say, by the Texans. And I think the reason why this is another part of draft coverage that I don't really love uh, is sort of the immediate grading or who won the day because we don't ever really know. We won't ever really know for maybe years down the road. Uh, But that said, just in terms of how they applied strategy, which I think is one of the most uh, fascinating aspects of this Thing, right is all right we go in with a game plan uh we pull off some of the unexpected everybody for the weeks leading up to the draft are just totally lying through their teeth right like will levis there were rumors that he was going to go number one overall the guy doesn't even get drafted in the first round there seems to be now a previously undisclosed toe injury that maybe forced him to drop in the draft standings and so you just don't know what's going to happen. And some of that unpredictability is certainly entertaining. And so you have to give it up to the Houston Texans for pulling off uh, a bit of a coup type of maneuver uh, to at least dominate the headlines uh, in much respects uh, for this uh, first day of the NFL draft. Well, I'm looking at, uh, speaking of the instant analysis, Kanoa, I'm looking at Mel Kuyper's, uh, you know, some of his grading out of round one. And he's got under the teams that made head-scratching moves. <laughs> Your Detroit Lions. <laughs> yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. Uh, they took uh, Gibbs from Alabama, number 12, and Jack Campbell, the linebacker from Iowa, at number 18. How did you feel about those? The Gibbs thing was a bit of a surprise, right? I mean, they did uh, lose Jamal Williams in the offseason, and, and I think there was a you know concern that they had to fill a, a little bit of that gap, but I think a lot of people thought they already had that on the roster. DeAndre Swift is, is sort of the guy who everyone has been expecting to be the primary uh, and go-to back, maybe even uh, more of a, of a three-down type of back uh, for this team here going forward, but he has never quite developed into that. And so this pick, uh, Jameer Gibbs, a bit of a surprise. I mean, he is a speedster. He's a home run hitter, uh, as they say. But I think taking him at number 12 did shock a lot of people, including uh, a lot of us in uh, the Lions fandom. Um, But, you know, I think the news and some of the the reporting that's come out here in the uh, less than 24 hours since has revolved around the fact that now they might be uh, accepting some uh, trade uh, conversation around DeAndre Swift. So perhaps there's more going on there than uh, what we were led to understand. I like Jack Campbell, uh, the linebacker they took at 18 out of Iowa. Uh, He's a hooper. Too. So you got to love that, right? I mean, uh, if you have a little bit of the, the basketball talents, uh, I love seeing that translate over uh, to the football field as well. But he kind of seems like he's a guy who's cut from the same cloth as Dan Campbell, the, the head coach who is a Red Bull can with legs uh, and uh, walking bicep. And so, you know, I think that kind of culture that he is building there, Jack Campbell from uh, all accounts seems to be a guy who fits kind of right into that, right? A guy who will uh, bite knees and bite ankles. Uh, as Dan Campbell likes to promote. So, yeah, there was some head-scratching stuff on the part of of the Lions, but uh, I would say that certainly the Texans were the top headline-getting team. Uh, The guy who was most intriguing to me as a draft prospect... uh, goes number four to the Indianapolis Colts, and that's the Florida QB, Anthony Richardson, who is just an absolute 
specimen. Like this guy was built in a laboratory. Uh, his body is amazing. He has a, a multitude of skills. And I think just the kind of guy, I mean, I've always thought, um, you know, uh, whether or not you see him translating to being a franchise quarterback, it's like if there's someone who has that wide array of extreme talent uh, and size and physicality and just, just this thing that like he's different from the other draft prospects. I just feel like it's always a good thing to bring that guy into your building. And, and I, I'm not saying that he uh, should necessarily be like the number four overall pick. Is that the kind of quarterback that he is going to ultimately develop into? I just think the potential and just the, the rare form of what he is uh, as a football entity is something you would want in your building. So he's the guy that I'm going to be uh, keeping my eye on big time here uh, as he heads to Indianapolis. To borrow, uh, borrow a line from our beloved uh, comic-influenced Triumph the Insult comic dog. He was built in a laboratory out of parts from lesser football players. Oh, yes, that's right. One of the very, very best. Exactly, exactly. 808-296-1420 is the number to call. And then I think uh, uh, what would go down as uh, one of the rich-get-richer uh, prospects here in the draft was at number nine, Jalen Carter. Obviously some concern about him, the Georgia defensive tackle who was adjacent to uh, that deadly car crash and and there have been some character questions and apparently some reports that uh, some of his uh, one-on-one interviews did not carry out very well and so a bit of a surprise that he dropped all the way down to nine but he goes to the Philadelphia Eagles who are just stacked maybe already the best offensive line and best defensive line in the NFL and what do they do they add Jalen Carter who uh, Mel Kuyper had as the uh, number one uh, best prospect in the draft. He was basically like the number one available prospect to start this thing. Uh, I think that he is, from a talent standpoint, uh, about as good as it gets. He can uh, run block. He can uh, pass rush. I mean, he's about as well-rounded a D-tackle or interior defensive lineman uh, as there is uh, coming out of college and as we've seen maybe in a few years. And so he goes to the Eagles and it's like, hey, we don't care about any character issues. We're stacked. What's the worst that could happen? Maybe it doesn't pan out. That's okay. We're still loaded. So uh, that's a that's a pretty remarkable set of circumstances that played out there. Yeah, no, and uh, shoot, I mean, with all those excess uh, talented linemen, I mean, when Marcus Mariota sees time with, uh, you know, you would expect maybe the, the second or third units, uh, some of those will kind of bleed <laughs> into who he gets to work with too. So a good situation that's for right, Marcus. That's right, that's right. 808-296-1420 is the number to call. But uh, yeah, all in all, I think it was a pretty entertaining opening day uh, of the NFL draft. I do uh, kind of get uh, entertained uh unto itself by the aftermath, right? We talk about the immediate reaction, right? The sort of knee-jerk response of who won the draft, you know, who's who's uh, who, who, who got an A grade or a B grade. And as mentioned, we just don't quite know. I do kind of feel, though, uh, that uh, our boy Billy Hull and some of the rest of the Seattle Seahawks fandom that we're associated with probably like what the Seahawks did, uh, taking Devin Witherspoon out of Illinois, the cornerback at number five. Uh, and then they were able to get what I think a lot of people thought were was the best wide receiver in the NFL draft, and they get him at number 20, Jackson Smith and Jigba, who uh, out of Ohio State, you know, has dealt with some injuries here in the previous uh, couple of years, but uh, a guy who, when he is on the field and when he is good to go, uh, his talent uh, really jumps off the video and I think uh, is undeniable. So, uh, yeah, I think the, the Seahawks nation is probably pretty happy about the way things uh, played out as well. How much of an NFL draft guy are you? Be Mac. 
on a scale of Mel Kuyper to my dog. <laughs> I'm hanging out with my dog. I'm going to be honest. Oh, but, okay, okay. Uh, yeah, I'm honestly, this has historically not been something I've paid a ton of attention to. I'm the anti uh, Curtis Murayama in, in that way. Uh, props to Curtis for his uh, draft guide he, he puts out every year for the Star Advertiser. But but, but being now a Buffalo Bills fan, right. a fan uh, really from day one day of one last year, of and <laughs> two years, <laughs> three, three of, years. of three years ago. And, uh, you know, do you, uh, is that something that. Um, like, are you at least sort of reading in the aftermath how it plays out, and just kind of checking out, like, all right, what did the what did the Bills do? Uh, you know, what what did uh, you know some of maybe the other division teams do? Are you at least keeping track of it in that way? Well, they got Dalton Kincaid, tight end out of Utah, and I'm uh, looking at him for the very first time right now. <laughs> uh, I was gonna go back when this uh, you know multi-day draft is all said and done as. We uh, kind of talked about to lead off the show. This is a uh, absolutely crazy time of the year. So I, I have, I'll be honest, I have not had uh, the time nor the inclination to go sorting through it yet. But uh, that said, I am now a Bills fan, as you said, and feel like it is my duty to um, have a take at some point in time. Well, it's also pretty hard to follow uh, the NFL draft uh, and follow some of these other sports stories when you have been immersed in uh, what is a continuing story involving Hawaii Pacific University athletics. And we do want to get into that with Brian McInnes because you have been uh, really reporting on a series of stories that have played out over the last couple of years in exclusivity. There is nobody else that is on top of this this story at the moment. And so uh, we are going to uh, get into that with my man, Brian McInnes of Spectrum News uh, on the other side of this break. But first, we want to thank Domino's Pizza Hawaii for their support of this program. They deliver aloha. If you order online, you can get up to 20% off of your online order. Again, Domino's Pizza Hawaii supporter of Let's Talk Sports. All right, we'll get into some of that H. P.U. Pilikia. Yep, there's more that's being reported on exclusively by my man Brian McInnes. That's after this. You're listening to Let's Talk Sport. What's up? Welcome back. Let's Talk Sports. Kanoa Leahy here in the PAXA studios in Honolulu. Brian McInnes of the Spectrum News app is joining me as the special guest co-host for the day. Uh, and perfect timing because uh, we can introduce our what seems like a weekly segment now on the show. Hawaii Pacific University... Pilikia. That's right. There has just been a series of uh, stories that Brian McInnes himself has been reporting on really with exclusivity uh, where there are lawsuits from current and former coaches against athletics director Debbie Snell and the institution. Uh, other stories of um, unhappy student athletes uh, who have issued, uh, in some cases, formal or informal complaints. Uh, and the latest has been uh, now a, a story that was just published by Brian McInnes uh, and the Spectrum News app. Again, go check it out. Uh, you are reporting on this again. Uh, really with no other at the moment uh, competition from any other media outlets. Uh, and so you have been uh, very thorough in uh, how you, and very measured, I would suggest, uh, if that's cool of me to say, uh, in how you have presented this. Uh, and when you read these stories, including this one, which basically the headline is parents of student athletes levy criticism at Hawaii Pacific University Athletic Department, but it is primarily involving the HPU acrobatics and tumbling team um, and, and some of the frustration there. And when you read into it, like this reads like a Dan Brown novel. It's like every, <laughs> every sort of second 
section of the story is a like almost like a page turner like whoa this now now you're throwing this on top of what has already transpired and um whether it whether it be a lack of communication between the student athletes and their families who were issuing uh complaints or or trying to reach out for communication uh, and interaction with the administration at hpu and not hearing anything back or whether it has something to do with a, in this case, a former student athlete who basically risked her eligibility to coach the team because they didn't have a coach uh, after their previous season. And, and just all, all of these kind of very uh, dramatic uh, aspects of the story, which also include a recorded um, question and answer session between members of the acro team, right? Acrobatics right. and tumbling uh, and the athletics director. Director Debbie Snell, uh, which uh, was presented to you, and, and according to the story, and, and I'll let you kind of get into some of the details here, what stood out to you, uh, but you also presented that recording to Hawaii Pacific University out of due diligence, uh, and they did not comment on uh, that uh, on that recording or what was on the recording, which included some pretty frustrated feelings and questions coming from specifically the student athletes and a series of fairly vague responses, uh, we should say, from the athletics director, Debbie Snell. So uh, this is the latest now in a series of reports that have um, really, I think, called into question uh, the leadership at HPU. And again, we always have to issue that these are allegations and right. HPU has also issued some uh, formal responses suggesting that uh, they are uh, fully backing and supporting their administration and specifically their athletics director, Debbie Snell. Um, but uh, give us a sense of, of what part of this story uh, to you uh, was, um, was, was maybe the most uh, significant or the most egregious in terms of accusations. Uh, yeah, well, no, first, I mean, thanks for um, laying it out uh, so eloquently uh, for the, for me, Kanoi. I mean, that I probably couldn't have presented like just some of the the, the main topics of the story any better myself. Um, this has been a ongoing thing that I that I've kind of been working on in the background since uh, last fall. Um, so it is, I, I will say, kind of a uh, a relief at this point to finally be able to put it out there. It's gone through a few different iterations between myself and the Spectrum News. Our you know edit, editing staff, editorial team. Um, and multiple conversations with HPU's uh, vice president of communications, Jeff Rich, uh, who's who's been, um, I think, as you know, open and um, helpful to me as he can be, accessible, in, in, accessible in a tough situation. So I, I give him credit for that. Um, yeah, it's it's like I said, it's it's just been a very drawn out thing, and uh, basically has encompassed start to finish the acro and tumbling season for HPU, which is a spring sport. It's an emerging sport. A lot of people probably haven't heard of it. It's like a combination of gymnastics and um, gymnastics and cheerleading, mm -hmm. like um, you know where you got uh, athletes doing team um, team events, team competitions, where they're they're graded on things like you know form and. Um, synchronicity and, and things choreography like choreography right exactly so they're in uh they're about to compete in nationals right now in some of the individual events so that's not to say all this these problems have led to like a failure of a season by mm -hmm. any means they've they've done i think reasonably well all things considered the parents just still have a number of serious concerns going back to roughly this time last year hp did not hire a new head coach seven months after the previous head coach left think about seven months 
Uh, that's an entire off season that's going into the fall semester at that point. That's more than half of a, a calendar year where you have athletes still on the roster, still slated to come back, wondering like, hey, what what's going on? And um, the, the parents all kind of talked about, the parents that spoke to me talked about how uh, getting answers out of uh, athletic director Debbie Snell from the rest of HPU administration, because they tried to work their way up the ladder, uh, was difficult. You know, HPU responds that they, they did, in fact, re reply to the parents on many instances, is, is their assertion. But um, the parents' frustrations uh, did not wane, even once they finally hired a full head coach in uh, December to prepare for this uh, 2023 season that's going on right now. Um, as you mentioned, they, they first tried to hire a student athlete who was a member of the team last year who had to give up her eligibility. Uh, her name is Avery Tyson and uh, became the basically the interim head coach or acting head coach, you know, was was a salaried member of the staff there for uh, several weeks, a couple months, I believe. Until that fell apart, there were some assertions by the athletic director that she acted inappropriately in an off-campus um, thing that I didn't fully get into in the story, but that she, you know, her family denies vehemently that there was any wrongdoing on her part. Uh, but it was used as justification to suspend her, and eventually, you know, she she basically left the position, even though uh, her family says she was vindicated through the course of a HPU internal investigation from administrators, just kind of looking at the facts and. Uh, she desired to get back on the team. That's kind of hit an impasse. Um, her family says one thing. HPU says another thing. Whether she is welcome, HPU says she is welcome back. Um, but that's been like one, just one dicey aspect of this whole thing. I mean, you got to feel for somebody who gives up her eligibility uh, to, you know, basically for the good of the team to step forward and, um, you know, do what she could to keep keep that group together because uh, they are like a, a top 10 program in a – as I said, emerging sport, a small sport, but um, still a name among, you know, m maybe a comparable number of teams to NCAA men's volleyball, for example, like 40 to 50 programs nationwide in that range. So um, th there were just a lot of avenues here, and I, I tried to distill it as best I could, but it was still ended up being a pretty lengthy, lengthy story. Yeah, I, I, at the heart of this, uh, it, it seems, because that, that specific anecdote or that, that part of the story that involves uh, that that athlete who decided to um, basically forego her her com uh, competitive eligibility to coach this team in lieu of having uh, an actual coach or hiring a replacement for the previous coach, um, you know, th there seems that that unto itself is full of drama because, like you said, some of the assertions that there was inappropriate behavior uh, and that uh, essentially led to a reprimand from the athletic director's office. Right. Uh, but then you also alluded to in the story an investigation internally that was done by HPU that didn't show uh, any of those kinds of misbehaviors uh, and so but that's something that the school in uh, since that investigation supposedly take uh, took place the school hasn't referenced in any of their statements to you yeah that they, they I didn't get a direct response on that it, it to, to me it seemed like there's maybe an acknowledgement by not directly responding to it that when I asked like, Hey, so was she, you know, vindicated here? Or was she uh, cleared of wrongdoing? So um, her family, like I said, vehemently uh, asserts that she was, and that, you know, it was uh, specious uh, allegations against her for her being suspended from that position after just a couple months. So I, 
it, it led ultimately to HBU hiring a, a full head coach, albeit in a part-time position. They have a few part-time coaching positions um, in their athletic department. So it, it's just been a uh, tough situation all around. Yeah, it just it seems like at the at the heart of a lot of this, right? And, and again, you know, some people might be thinking, hey, it's the acrobatics and tumbling team. Like, you know, uh, right. no big deal. It's it's a collegiate program uh, at a uh, longstanding uh, collegiate institution here in the islands. It's the only such program in the state of Hawaii, right? It's something that you pointed out uh, in your stories. You mentioned an emerging program, but it's also just the latest in a series of uh, pretty significant and heavy allegations. And I think the one that is probably uh, going to resonate the most is the uh, Reed Takatsuka situation where he was let go uh, by Debbie Snell um, amid. And there's not necessarily... It's not to say that there is uh, no credibility to some of the complaints about the manner uh, with which he coached his teams, but you can't argue with the fact that it was, uh, under Reed Takotsuka, the most successful run in women's basketball history at the at uh, Hawaii Pacific University. But um, to have that coach, uh, who was referred to by the institution itself as a legend, turn around and issue a lawsuit against the AD and the institution itself, um, you know, that is probably the thing that's going to be the 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 most resonating detail in sure. what is a litany now of complaints and and accusations and allegations uh, that just seem to revolve around at the very least a significant lack of communication and back and forth dialogue between the administration and the various student-athletes or uh, various coaches uh, in a a particular number of programs? Uh, I would say a significant number of the 14 total programs that HP represents. There's there's others in other sports that I haven't even, you know, waded fully into yet, and I'm not going to say it's uniform. Uh, For example, I think men's basketball was – um, pretty pretty closely aligned with Debbie Snell, even though Coach Vorderbrugge recently elected to to leave the program. Um, I think he and and uh, her were were fairly in lockstep. Um, I think uh, you know women's basketball. She Debbie Snell brought in a, a new head coach to replace Reed Takatsuka, and she did a great job in her one and only year before she. Um, I heard she she got a uh, job on the mainland mm-hmm. at a uh, either D two or D three uh, institution. So. Um, you know, it has. It's not like every program has had exactly the same issues, but there is enough of a, I think, commonality between many of them that, uh, yeah, whether it's the communication aspect, feeling like there's not a whole lot of support coming from the AD's office to, to maybe some of their teams. Um, definitely a recurring theme that I've been made aware of. The statements that you have included in your reporting uh, from Hawaii Pacific University uh, have been fairly general. Uh, in in what they reference, um, you know, I think they have been uh, as expected. Um, you know, you know, f- fairly um, generic. I think by nature, right? In hey, look, we always support student athletes' interests and mental health and physical health and all of this stuff. All the things that uh, an institution is supposed to say um, is that the extent of what you have heard as a response from. Hawaii Pacific University, uh, and and what do you make of that general response then uh, here over the course of now what is a series of reports? Yeah, I mean, well, they've they've been pretty consistent on um, you know having at the back of Debbie Snell and and standing by her throughout you know all of the inquiries I've made um, so far. I think they they've maybe circled the wagons a little bit, but they've been fairly 
you know, consistent in their messaging. Um, you know, on the side, I've had some conversations where um, I, they feel like I think some of this, you know, whether it's from the parents or, or maybe from a couple of the coaches that have kind of lashed out at HPU, um, that, you know, there's maybe some, some misinformation there or um, factually incorrect things, you know, that they, I think they feel that from their vantage point will bear out over time hmm. in their favor. Um, you know, in the example of the audio recording that I presented to them, they did not elect to, to give a official comment rebuttal mm-hmm. to it. Uh, and the reason I was given for that is citing those lawsuits that are taking mm-hmm. place right now, which wasn't the case at the time that I got some of their other comments. So in, the, in that most gotcha. recent one, they felt like, hey, there's these, you know, this litigation going on. I don't think they wanted to open themselves up to any more risks. But even in the other comments, as you pointed out, uh, not too many specifics, but just like general, you know, like, uh, you know, we stand for this or this, um, where I think they're not leaving themselves open to too much liability just from those statements. All right. Lastly, before we take a break, uh, what has been some of the reaction you've received from elsewhere in the community, whether it be people who are, uh, as you, uh, the term that you used, uh, aligned with Hawaii Pacific University a little bit more uh, directly, or even people who are in the uh, network of alums or former athletes or current athletes? Uh, what has been kind of the the general or, or maybe even the, uh, here we go, spectrum of responses <laughs> that you've heard? Well played. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's it's been um, you know supportive. Some some thanking me for kind of being a voice. I think for some folks who didn't feel like they had one, um, and that's always gratifying to hear. Um, I'm, you know, I just feel like I've uh, not done anything particularly special. Just have kind of been the one who heard some of these complaints and uh, felt like it was my you know job responsibility to, to act upon them. Um, that's not to say that other outlets aren't you know not doing their job by not paying attention to this it just so happens that i was the one who could latch on to some of it but um like i said they, they, they've been thankful um so far i can't imagine i'm uh <laughs> within the hpu at administration right now their biggest uh you know i'm not uh their biggest or i you know what i'm trying to say yeah you're, you're uh they're not your biggest fan at the moment correct yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um so <laughs> Anyway, we'll see. We'll see what continues to play out yeah. these next uh, months, weeks. Don't be applying for grad school no. over there. <laughs> I don't. I don't know if you're going to get in. All right. Um, we appreciate BMac being here as a special guest co-host. Uh, you can read uh, some of his stuff uh, over there at Spectrum News uh, on the Spectrum News app. You can go online uh, as well. Uh, Spectrum News uh, under the uh, Hawaii link. And um, I'm telling you, it's it's a good read. A really thorough reporting. Uh, reporting, and and I think. Um, you know, I think uh, interesting, uh, certainly for those of us who have uh, a more inherent interest in uh, what happens at Hawaii Pacific University, myself being an alum, a graduate of that uh, institution, uh, you know, this is something that uh, I, I root for HPU, I root for them to succeed. And so this is something that hits uh, in a uh, pretty a heavy way, and, and I think uh, it, it really uh, kind of evokes uh, a certain response uh, that um, is is one that, you know, ha- carries some emotion there. Uh, and so I uh, I commend you for, for the thorough reporting, and uh, go check it out. Again, BMAC, Brian McInnes of Spectrum News. Uh, let's talk sports. We'll continue after this. Oh, 
What's up? Welcome back. Let's talk sports. Kanoa Leahy here in the PAXA studios in Honolulu, being joined by my special guest co-host for the day, Brian McInnes of the Spectrum News app. Go check out his stuff over there. 808-296-1420 is the number to call. All right, we have some uh, bigger stories to uh, try to sift through here before we get uh, to our best and worst to close the show. Again, NFL draft coverage day two taking place over on CBS 1500. Also a reminder for people out there, uh, who might be interested, uh, you have the Rainbow Wahine softball team uh, playing at home, hosting a pivotal series with Long Beach State here this weekend. And Saturday, tomorrow, is uh, what is being referred to as Youth Day. It's a promotion where youth softball teams will have the opportunity to meet their favorite Rainbow Wahine softball player, stand with them on the field during the national anthem. Uh, You can meet uh, Hawaii's marketing representatives at the entrance of the softball stadium at 11.30 a.m. for team check-in. Teams will be given softball posters to get autographs, take pictures with the team from about 11.45 to 12.15, reminding teams to bring their own markers, sharpies, of course, uh, for autographs. But for uh, further information uh, or if interested to get your youth team involved, uh, you can contact Kayleen at KayleenF at Hawaii.com. E-D-U. Again, that's tomorrow uh, as uh, Long Beach State and Hawaii do battle here uh, in a series this weekend. And uh, tomorrow, uh, the first game will get going at 2 o'clock, so you'll have an opportunity uh, to meet the teams. Uh, and the teams will be uh, asked to report back at the entrance at 1.30 for the national anthem. But uh, teams, if they get there earlier, will have a chance to do the autograph thing, the picture thing. So again, Youth Day tomorrow. Uh, go check it out. All right, so Lamar Jackson finally uh, gets his deal. And that sort of erases all of the criticism that everybody, present company included, uh, gave him about not having an agent. Now, because he doesn't have an agent, that's just all that extra cash for Lamar Jackson. But he gets what amounts to a uh, bigger deal uh, in terms of the total money associated with the contract than anybody per year, right? Two hundred sixty thousand over, uh, two hundred sixty million, I should say, uh, over five years. Uh, he doesn't get the two hundred fifty million guaranteed that Deshaun Watson got, but I think Jalen Hurts' contract sort of reset the standard that okay, no, that was an absolute outlier. The, what the Cleveland Browns did is something that no other owner in the league is in support of. That's just not going to happen, and perhaps that then softened Lamar Jackson. Uh, to accept something where he's still going to be the highest paid, at least at the moment, uh, player in NFL history on a per-year basis, uh, and he gets in the upwards of $183 million of that contract guaranteed. That's becoming the thing now, that sort of front-loaded contract where we're not going to give you the full guaranteed money. That Deshaun Watson stuff was bananas, and no one's ever going to do that if we have anything uh, that we can do to influence uh, the future uh, contract uh, manipulation here going forward. But um, you get that front end guaranteed where the team then has a little more wiggle room on the back end. So uh, what do you make of, of Lamar Jackson uh, and, and the fact that uh, he finally got his? Would the kids say that he is him? Is it like how uh, that's becoming Austin the thing, Reeves, right? Like by having like the Himmy confi- Butler, Himmy Butler <laughs> to have the confidence, the self-assuredness to stick by this no agent thing as this thing is dragged on for, for months. Yeah. And, uh, because agents get a cut of what normally it's like five to ten. It goes up to ten percent, as much as ten percent. Yeah, that, that, that that's is significant. A, a lot of money for uh, what is, of course, already a lot of money. But um, shoot, yeah, I guess he he is him in terms of uh, 
Maybe, I'm curious to see if other guys will try to replicate that. I, I agree. Like the sheer onions that have been on display here uh, by Lamar Jackson uh, under all of those pressures, under all of the criticism, right? Uh, he uh, was reportedly demanding a trade. And so I think everyone was under the impression like, oh, this Baltimore Ravens thing is done. Like they're done with the Lamar Jackson chapter. They're turning the page. And what's going to happen with Lamar out there? It didn't seem to be a lot of takers. People were accusing the NFL owners of colluding against him. And I'm not going to say that it was collusion from a formal standpoint. I would associate that more with something like the Colin Kaepernick situation. Uh, but I think there was at least even just owner to owner, uh, individually speaking, perhaps, there was not one uh, member of the ownership group outside of the Cleveland Browns and the contract they gave to Deshaun Watson that was interested in doing something like that. Uh, and so I think in this situation, both sides, in essence, are victorious because Lamar gets his money. He still gets to say he's the, the highest paid dude, uh, which I think, you know, in, in what is this capitalistic marketplace that we toil in, especially in professional sports, that becomes, right, everyone wants to set that new standard. That becomes a negotiating uh, standard and a negotiating tool. Uh, but I think on the part of the Ravens and on the part of really the Ravens representing ownership uh, throughout the league, that's a bit of a victory because they avoid then that becoming more of a trend of, oh, now we got to get into fully guaranteed contracts. I felt like Jalen Hurts was able to reset the paradigm a little bit there, and the Deshaun Watson thing now sits out there as that much more of an outlier. And so I think both sides, and maybe even all sides when you, when you consider uh, all the other franchises, can feel like, all right, I think we all kind of made out uh, in a way with regard to this situation. I'll tell you who is ending up on the losing side of the situation. Sports agents. Football <laughs> sports agents. The Drew Rosenhouses, the Lee Steinbergs of the world uh, have to be sweating just a little bit when you see a guy of that stature be able to call his own number in that situation and prevail. That's true. That's true. And, and you know what? What who the other people in, involved in this, uh, sort of the other echelon of individuals that uh, really had their feathers ruffled, uh, were the uh, breaking news reporters, right? The insiders uh, of the NFL. Uh, because their complaints are, you know, where do we get our information? Like the, the Schefters and, and all of these people of the world, like and the Glazers, like where do we get our information? We get it from the agents. And so when there is not an agent involved, uh, there is not that kind of insider traction. And I think that's why we weren't getting a lot of information out of this Lamar Jackson scenario uh, that was being widely reported and certainly not a lot of agreed upon uh, reporting. And so that was kind of funny, too, to, to see the, the the sports reporters, the, the insiders, so to speak, and the national pundits who were like, why doesn't he just get an agent already? And then that way we could know know what's happening so yeah that's another tier uh, perhaps of individuals who going forward uh, might um, might not love the way this thing played out for Lamar Jackson but you got to be happy for the dude right absolutely but isn't that kind of like a parallel to like something that's also affected people in our line of work with athletes like the Players Tribune like they're be being able to just hey say whatever they want to their followers on social media cutting out the quote-unquote middlemen and just doing their own thing and being relatively successful at it most of the time. Uh, before, that is, before, of course, Twitter started its, uh, you know, death spiral to self-implosion as a, <laughs> as a viable platform that we're seeing take place right 
right in real time. But uh, I think there's a definite parallel there. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's the evolution, right? Is the the players being able to establish a little bit more of that self fulfillment when it comes to all right, this is the kind of Im- image I want to uh, uh, project out there uh, to the masses. I actually have the power to control some of that. They are discovering more and more every single day uh, with the pathways that are made available on social media. You're right; they can eliminate some of that quote unquote middleman, and now we're we're seeing it in a massive negotiation uh, between one of the superstars of the league and his franchise. And in the end, he gets what ultimately he wanted. Maybe, maybe he had visions of, of, of getting something that was more guaranteed than even the money uh, for Deshaun Watson. But uh, that kind of reset because of Jalen Hurts, I think, in a lot of ways. And, and he still comes out looking pretty darn good. And, and so, yeah, uh, this could uh, be a, a seismic change uh, that is uh, perhaps uh, now coming uh, in, in a little bit higher frequency uh, because of what transpired here in Lamar Jackson. Still a gutsy move. And it could have gone the other way. And me, for my money, I'm thinking I'll give you 10%. If, if we're talking about like these kinds of numbers, I'm giving someone 10% just to avoid the headache. Because I, uh, you know, I want to hang out with my boys in golf. I don't uh, want to be like, you know, in these long-standing negotiations. That's just too much stress for me. But that's me. Lamar Jackson, obviously, a different kind of dude, that's for sure. All right, we'll take another break. When we come back, best and worst to finish off, let's talk sports. All right, welcome back. Let's talk sports. Kanoa Leahy here in the Paxa Studios in Honolulu with my man BMAC, Brian McInnes of the Spectrum News app. 808-296-1420 is the number, but this is the last segment of the show, which means we like to end things with our best and worst. BMAC, what is your best here for today? My best is unquestionably the Pittsburgh Pirates taking two or three from the <laughs> Los Angeles Dodgers, a team that has thrice or maybe even four times the payroll uh, to now lead the National League with an 18-8 and record for the Buccos. It is an amazing, amazing accomplishment. Uh, and I, I was when I saw that, uh, you were the first guy I thought of because uh, you are a Pittsburgh Pirates fan. Uh, you adopted that from your pops. And, uh, yeah, that was a pretty cool storyline. Hopefully they can keep it up, right? It's a long season, yep. uh, but you can't ask for a better start, that's for sure. Uh, all right, my best is uh, following a team hike up Cocoa Head, supporting the Coconut Coalition, uh, which is... Is an organization that is there to preserve the steps up that uh, Cocoa Head Trail. Have you done it before? I have, and I, I regret it every single time. <laughs> uh, maybe five times in my life, and every time I've been uh, hurting in a real way when I get to the top. Yeah, well, uh, there was at least something that would give a more positive spin on it for um, one of the Rainbow Warriors uh, who was uh, participating, and that is defensive lineman Fo'i Shaw, uh, who was granted a scholarship, uh, and it was his auntie who was brought in that delivered the news, gave him a big hug, and the rest of the team jumped on him. Some of the video is available on social media, uh, and just a cool moment. I'll never get tired of the scholarship-granting vids uh, in college sports. I, I I just happen to love that. And, you know, it's just so much better than kind of the um, uh, self-aggrandizing, like, signing day recruiting stuff. I, I, I think that those are so much more pure and genuine. Did they make Auntie hike the stairs <laughs> of Coco Head? That's a good question. I think it was when they came down, okay. possibly, after, because they had taken, like, tools and stuff up. Um, yeah, which just sounds awful. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's when they came back down, because that would be... <laughs> That would be a tough one. Tough assignment there uh, for Ante. All right, let's switch it over to our worst. What's your worst? Uh, My worst is uh, the fact that 
after some optimism that the stadium authority, Aloha Stadium Authority, could have some kind of meaningful meeting of the minds between themselves, the uh, Governor Green administration, and the Hawaii State Legislature to hash out a plan for NASED going forward as far as the um, the procurements process. Yeah, yeah. They have differences of opinion for how that should be done. Uh, they were hoping to do it by this month's meeting, which took place yesterday. They were not able to all meet nice. in a room together, uh, citing the busyness of the legislative session, which ends, I believe, the first week of May. So coming up, they're hoping, so another to, month. hoping to get it in between now and next month's May meeting. Uh, so that has continued to be so a, another uh, month. So we're waiting another yeah. month. Yeah, mm-hmm. oh, man, this this thing, this thing. I tell you what, that's frustrating. Could be a worst almost every single time. Uh, another guy that can be a worst almost every single time, Kendrick Perkins, uh, for a couple of reasons, uh, but primarily uh, the fact that he lambasted Giannis Antetokounmpo after Giannis's speech talking about failure when he was asked about this season being a failure for the Bucks, uh, and uh, he tried to apply a reframing technique and strategy to failure, which is something that is part of sports psychology. Uh, my good buddy Chris McLaughlin does that uh, as part of what his profession is. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I think that um, that's something that Kendrick Perkins just you know, does not apply as any sort of nuance to it. And the fact that he criticized Giannis, I thought, was just in poor taste and, you know, typical. And it was just a bummer. Nothing to add. <laughs> there it is. All right, that's it for us. Uh, thanks to BMAC for being in the house. Uh, thanks, Liz, for running the show. We'll see you next week. Enjoy your weekend, everybody.